0: This morning we're going to be going to 1st Samuel chapter 13, 1st Samuel chapter 13. It's in the Old Testament, it's during the time of the judges and the first king of Israel, King Saul is where we're going to be reading. 1st Samuel chapter 13. While you're turning there, let me introduce the message this way. Um, you're probably aware there's a very popular ideology that's being spread about, in especially in entertainment circles, in conservative entertainment, even in Christian circles, and it's this ideology of follow your heart. Follow your heart. You probably heard that. I mean, you can find that on Disney. You can find it in the American Girl products. My kids have experienced that. You can see it on Hallmark. It's all over the place. It's a popular ideology. Many Christians espouse that, follow your heart. But the that ideology is contrary to what we read in Scripture because we have many examples. We're going to look at one today in Saul of someone who followed their heart and not God's heart and didn't do what God wanted them to. And it didn't turn out well for Saul or for the people of Israel. And so we're reading here Uh, God's rejection of King Saul, we're going to just start in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, and we're going to read the first 14 verses as kind of an introduction to our uh, message this morning. And so starting starting in verse 1 in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, the Bible says, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash and Mount Bethel, and a 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin, and the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also was had in abomination with the Philistines, and the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash, eastward from Bethlehem. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed... Then the people hid themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. And he tarried seven days according to the time set that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal. And the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of the offering, offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. So I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee, for now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. We're going to stop there this morning. Let's have a word of prayer together before our message. Again, Lord, we thank you for your word, and as we come before you, with our, your word before us, as we look into it and the things that you want to teach us, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive the truth. And Lord, even though we're reading in the Old Testament, there are principles that apply to us. And so, Lord, teach us through your Spirit. May we be submissive to the authority of your word and that it tells us who we are and what we should be. And so, Lord, I pray that you would accomplish your work now during this time. Lord, fill me with your spirit. I'm just a person with human weaknesses, but Lord, speak through me, I ask, as you fill me with your spirit. Give me words to say in wisdom so that you might proclaim the truth that we need to hear. And Lord, may your word go forth with power and accomplish that which you've sent it forth for. And so bless us, work in us, and be glorified in this time. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Here, what we read is very early in Saul's reign, this is about three years in, Saul goes to battle with the Philistines, and we're not going to go into all the details of the passage, but he and Jonathan, specifically Jonathan and the the people that were with him, defeated a garrison of the Philistines, and they were rejoicing and proclaiming this victory through all the land. And so the Philistines gathered their people together and came back up against Israel in vengeance, and if you read the numbers there that um, the Bible tells us about the the Philistine, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and then people, that's soldiers as the sand which is on the seashore. Imagine Israel facing an army like that. You know, they just had this great victory over a small group of Philistines with just a small group, about a thousand with Jonathan defeated them, and so they're feeling pretty good, and Saul's feeling pretty good. And then they face this massive army, probably close to 100,000 men, and they don't know what to do. They get scared. In fact, the Bible tells us they start hiding in holes and caves and pits, wherever they can find a place to hide so that they're not going to get killed. So much for the courageous warriors that they were. And so Saul goes to God and wants to help and Samuel comes and tells him, I'm going to be there in seven days and and want you to meet me at Gilgal and we'll offer an offering to the Lord and seek his guidance. And so Saul waits in Gilgal and Samuel doesn't show up. And what does Saul do? He follows his heart. Well, it has to be done. We want God's help. This is a good thing, right? Seeking God. And so, well, Samuel didn't keep his word. Samuel's not here. So I'm going to go ahead and do it myself. And so Saul offers The burnt offering, which was not allowed, by the way, by God's command. Only Samuel, as God's representative, could offer that offering. But Saul takes it upon himself to do that because it had to be done. And then Samuel shows up immediately afterward. And Samuel asks him, what have you done? And Saul at least is honest and he says, well, you know, you didn't show up. And so I went ahead and offered the offering because we wanted the Lord's help. We have people that are deserting me. People hiding, we needed to do something, and you weren't here. And so I went ahead and did it. And Samuel's response to him in verse 13, he says, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom forever in Israel, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. Now remember, Saul had only been king a couple years And here, it was not necessarily a bad thing. It's not blatant sin, really. He's offering an offering to the Lord, seeking for God's guidance. And Samuel hadn't come, so he followed his heart and did what he thought was right. And because he didn't follow the Lord, specifically in this, he's already told three years into his reign, you're going to lose your kingdom. It's not going to continue. God is going to give it to someone else. If you keep reading verse 14, it says, The Lord has sought him, a man after his own heart. In other words, a man who lives as the Lord intended, as the Lord wants him to, with a heart like the heart of God, not just toward people, not just toward leadership, not just toward conquering evil, but toward Submission to God's authority and obedience. So Samuel gives him the bad news here. You have lost your kingdom. Now, Saul didn't lose it right away. We know if we read through history and through the scripture, that Saul reigned for 40 years, roughly. So it wasn't taken away from him immediately. And in fact, in chapter 15, I'm not going to read that because of time, but two chapters later, Saul goes out, and this is several years later, Saul goes out, to war against Amalek, following God's commands for them to go smite Amalek. Uh, the country or the nation of Amalek had, uh, well, they were heathens, they were idol worshipers. They had come up against Israel. They had spoken against Israel. They had done everything they could to uh, thwart Israel and conquer them. And so God tells Saul, I want you to take an army and go up against Amalek and I'm going to give you the victory. But in that command, He says, I want you to kill everything and everyone. In chapter 15, verse uh, 3, God says, Go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all they that have. Do not spare them. Kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So God was very clear. You don't leave anything alive because this nation has done wickedly against me. But Saul goes up against Amalek, as God told him to, and they won. And yet in that victory, it tells us that Saul spares the king, Agag, of Amalek and brings him back, and Saul and the people, it literally says, Saul and the people spare the best of the animals, and their intent was to bring the best animals back to worship the Lord, to offer as offerings to the Lord. Now again, good intentions, right? Right? I mean, we want to offer God offerings. We want to give him a thanksgiving and praise for the victory that he's giving us. Look at these great animals. There's nothing wrong with them. We can take these back and offer them to God as a sacrifice. Wrong answer. They were following their heart again. And in chapter 15, verse 22, Samuel comes again to Saul and he says, What have you done? And Saul says, well, we, you know, we brought King Agag back, but we obeyed God. We did everything that he told us to do, but the people wanted to bring back these animals. And, you know, that was a good thing, so we let the people bring back the animals to offer to God. And in verse 22, Samuel says, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams." For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And so for the second time, because Saul does what he thinks is right, instead of following God's command, God tells him through Samuel, you have definitely lost your kingdom. I am going to separate you, not just you, but your entire family from, from this line of kingship in Israel. And the word that Solomon or that Samuel uses, he says, Not you haven't followed your heart, you haven't done kind of what was right, he calls it rebellion because he didn't do what God told him to do. In Acts chapter thirteen, Paul is speaking to the Jews in Jerusalem and he recounts this event and the one in chapter thirteen that we read. And he says, and this is Paul speaking, afterward they desired a king, talking about Israel, and God gave them unto unto them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin by the space of 40 years. So we know Paul reigned 40 years. And then he says this, and when he had removed him, talking about God's taking Saul out of the kingship, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Now, all of the stuff that we know about Saul gives us a perfect picture of what God doesn't want us to be. Everything we see in David, and I'm not saying David was perfect, but everything we see in David, God describes him as a man after God's own heart. And yet we know David, Committed adultery. We know David committed murder or had murder committed. He commissioned it. He lied on several occasions when he was running from Saul. But God calls him a man after God's own heart because David strove to do that which God commanded. And when he sinned against God, immediately he was repentant. And so that's the difference between Saul and David. And so in David, we have a picture of someone who God calls a man after God's own heart. And so the question for us as we look at these passages and others in Scripture is, are we going to be like Saul and follow our hearts, good intentions? Or are we going to be like David and obey God's commands, a man after God's own heart? We have to look at David a little bit. If we review David's life, remember, he grew up as a shepherd he was charged with watching the sheep of his family, and he spent a lot of time out in the fields learning to care and protect for the, sh- the sheep that were under him, and you think as a shepherd, he must have been alone a lot with sheep, obviously, but not with other people. He probably was lonely, uh, but during that time, we know he learned to play the harp. He learned to sing. He learned to use a sling. He learned a lot of things, and I think... God had him as a shepherd in order to train him for what God's purpose for what it was for him later. But I want you to think about those days out in the field. The only person he had to talk to was God. Now, he was familiar with God. He grew up learning about the Lord. He knew the Lord. And so he was a man of prayer. And if you read the Psalms, you can see that. So he had a relationship that he built with the Lord during those lonely days. But God taught him... Lessons through his whole life about how to be a man after God's own heart and how to be a good leader because God had intended for him to be king even before Saul was appointed because God is uh, sovereign and he had this all planned out from the beginning. But God uses this solitary time to prepare David. There's other solitary times that we'll see in a minute that God used to prepare David. But while David was out in the fields, he fought against a bear. He fought against a lion with just a sling. Okay, How many of us would be confident in that situation? Here's a sling or a sling shot. I mean, a sling is a little thing. You swing around and let it go and the stone flies. We have the sling shot. It's a little easier to use, but how many of us would be confident with a sling? Well, God helped David to learn how to use it very competently. And he was able to kill a lion and a bear with it. And so he learned that God, as his shepherd, was watching over him, just as he watched over his flock. Remember Psalm 23 that David wrote, The Lord is my shepherd. That came out of a shepherd's heart. He learned responsibility over his charge. And when he was called to go home and leave Samuel, when David was crowned as king or anointed as king, not when he was crowned, but when he was anointed as king by Samuel, remember he was out with the sheep and they had to send for him because he was the only one in the family that wasn't there in the lineup when Samuel was inspecting the potential kings. And they sent for David. And instead of David just saying, okay, I'll go. And this happened on another occasion. Remember when he went, from his father to take food to his brothers who were fighting the Philistines and Saul's army. And he had to leave his sheep. On both occasions, he found somebody to watch over the sheep. He didn't just leave them because this is something that he had to do. So there was responsibility over his charge. And he also learned not to fear what confronted him. First a bear, then a lion. We know later Goliath. So many times God puts us in a solitary place to prepare us and to teach us lessons that we need to learn to help us to understand how to draw close to Him, not just for safety and protection, but in fellowship, and how to commune in our hearts with the Lord and become people after God's own heart. He did the same thing with Moses. Remember, after Moses had to run from Egypt because he killed the Egyptian, he was in the wilderness of Midian for 40 years tending sheep. And I say, God put Moses in the wilderness 40 years watching sheep so that he could be ready to go in the wilderness for 40 years leading sheep. Okay? So God uses this wilderness preparation to prepare our hearts to follow him. You move up to David's battle with Goliath. David didn't go to the battle to be a warrior, or to be a hero. He went as a simple servant, taking food to his brother because that's, or his brothers, because that's what his father told him to do. And he was faithful in carrying out <clears throat> this little task that God gave him. Now, David didn't go there thinking, oh, I'm going to get to fight. I'm going to get to see everything. You know, he went there to carry out the responsibility that his father had given him. Faithful in little things. And then God gave him the opportunity to be faithful in much. And when he saw the entire army of Israel hiding, and here's the enemy of God standing out in the middle of the field, Goliath. He said, isn't anybody going to fight this guy? Oh, look how tall he is. Oh, no, we're, you know, and he's got brothers. And No, we're not going near him. David said, well, somebody's got to do it. So I have the Lord with me. I've killed a bear. I've killed a lion. I'm going to go fight Goliath. Somebody's got to do it. And we know the story, how God, in his strength, how David, relying on God's strength, was able to kill the giant, not really even having any weapons of his own. Just one small stone is all it took. So David was faithful in the little, and God rewarded him in being faithful in much. But David's trust was in God. And when David went out to battle against Goliath, Remember what he said? Goliath taunted him, and David said, Thou comest to me with a sword and a spear and a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. What's our greatest weapon? The Lord. We don't need anything else. David understood that. See, that's being a man after God's own heart, or a person after God's own heart. The Lord is my portion, David wrote in the Psalms. So David learned that God could conquer any foe that he faced. And if he yielded himself to God's authority and to God's power, then God could accomplish anything through him that he desired, that God desired, not David. And so David was submissive in this way. But in this victory, God sealed in David's heart the truth that God's presence was always there. His power was always available to him as long as he was following the Lord. Saul didn't get that. Saul did what he thought was right. Saul saw the tasks. He thought he was obeying God, but he didn't do it God's way. And in the end, he lost everything. Now, David was prepared by God through all of these early experiences as a shepherd going before Goliath. And we see that reflected in his Psalms and in his leadership but his, his learning wasn't done. God hasn't, wasn't finished at that point after Goliath training David to become the next king of Israel. There was a bigger, more important lesson he had to learn. And remember what happened after he killed Goliath. Saul called David to serve in his presence. And Saul would be basically kind of an assistant to Saul. And he would come in and he would play music and he would sing. He would help out with whatever Solomon needed or Saul needed. And so he was there all the time in the palace. You think, well, that's a great promotion and great experience for a future king to learn how to be a king. Be right there, right? It's like uh, on-the-job training. Now, that's not the training that God knew David needed because it wasn't very long that David was in the palace and then Saul tried to kill him twice because Saul was jealous. Saul knew he had lost the kingdom. He knew David was the next king, and so he was going to eliminate God's person to follow him so that he could maintain control of the kingship, and then pass it on to his son, Jonathan. And so Saul tried to kill him. And from that time forward, we see David on the run, living in the wilderness again, hiding in caves alone. And that was the most important lesson that David had to learn, because David had had these great victories and learned great lessons as a shepherd. He had a huge victory with Goliath. He had the praise of all the people of Israel. Remember, they were singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. I mean, what could you want in preparation for being the next king? And yet David's heart wasn't ready, because at that point, maybe David was starting to look at who David was instead of who God was. Look who God has made me. And so God had to teach him a more important lesson and that's why Saul started to try to kill him and started to chase him. And this went on for years. It seemed like if you read the book of of 1 Samuel, the, the rest of the book, in fact, is devoted to telling the accounts of David running from Saul and Saul looking for David and trying to kill him, looking for opportunities to eliminate him. And... David is out in the wilderness. In fact, Saul got so desperate at one point that he offers David a deal. He says, okay, well, you've outsmarted me so far, so here's the deal, David. If you can go kill 100 Philistines and bring me proof of their death, I'll give you my daughter, and you can marry her, and you can come back in the palace, and I won't kill you anymore. Saul figured if he couldn't kill him, maybe the Philistines could do the job for him, right? Saul's not, or David's not going to be able to kill 100 Philistines all by himself. Well, that's what Saul thought. And if you read in 1 Samuel, we read that David went out in God's power and God's strength, and he killed 200 Philistines and brought back proof. And so Saul had to follow up on his word and give his daughter. Saul was hoping the Philistines would kill David. Now, it's interesting If we fast forward a little bit to David's reign, there was a point at which David sinned against God. He was out of fellowship with God. Remember his sin with Bathsheba, and then to cover it up, he had the husband thrown into the battle with the Philistines, hoping that they would kill him. The same thing Saul did to him. Now, David was successful, or unsuccessful, really, because Uriah did die. But David was still learning the lesson of submission here. And really, it's more than submission. David was learning the more important lesson of brokenness. He had had his great experiences. He had had his great victories. He was called a man after God's own heart, even before he became the king. And yet God wasn't through preparing him. And so his whole life, up to the point where he was finally crowned as king, was running, living in the wilderness, alone, learning how to trust God. If you read the early Psalms that David wrote, like 13, 18, 20, 22, you see his trust in God start to develop. You see that strength in God growing. In fact, Psalm 13, he starts this way, "'How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever?' How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Does that sound like faith? Sounds like fear. And yet he doesn't stop there. He finishes the psalm this way, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. There's the faith. Now, in our lives, we may have circumstances that God allows us to go through where it seems like God has forgotten me. I'm in the wilderness. What's going on, God? How long will you hide your face from me? How long do I have to go through this? But David comes back, but I've trusted in your steadfast love. There's nothing wrong with praying and saying, Lord, how long? Why does it seem like you've abandoned me? David did it. But we can't stop there. We have to get to the conclusion because this is what really shows our heart. Like David, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. He's saying that even before God delivers him. Psalm 18, verses 1 through 6, he says this, and this is the introduction to that psalm, to the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of his song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. That's the introduction to the psalm. And then this is the psalm. David says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I I think you get the idea of David's attitude about the Lord's strength in his life, the Lord's protection. He says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I am safe from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol... Entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. So you see his confidence and trust in the Lord building even through these wilderness experiences. And it was during this time, remember, David had several opportunities to kill Saul, but he didn't, because Saul was God's anointed king. And God had not said, okay, it's time for you, David, to become king. He was anointed as the next king, but not crowned. And so David wasn't going to take it upon himself and follow his heart and say, well, God has crowned me king. I could go ahead and kill Saul. Look, here's a perfect opportunity. In fact, his men encouraged him to, and he said, who am I that I should touch the Lord's anointed? so he was trusting in God's strength and in God's plan to make of his life what God wanted, not what David may have expected. Now, when David was anointed king <clears throat> as that teenager shepherd in his father's house, he was probably thinking, oh, man, how soon do I get to go to the palace? You know, how soon is this going to happen? And it was years and years and years. I mean, David was anointed very early in Saul's reign, and yet Saul reigned for 40 years so David had to learn patience on God. But he was learning that most important lesson of not just becoming a leader, but what that character of a man after God's own heart is, brokenness. And it's in those wilderness times that we learn this lesson of brokenness. And that's probably one of the most important lessons we can learn. In order for David to become a man after God's own heart, God had first to remove everything that made David David and had to replace it with everything that made him a man after God's own heart. David had to understand that God was the shepherd, not him. He was just a sheep. He had to learn that it was God that won the battles, not him. God was the where's where the strength came from. And he had to learn that leadership was not about authority and power and using it for your own advantage It was about humility and submission to the Lord's authority. And so David had to be emptied of David, and he had to be filled with the Spirit of God, the heart of God, literally. And so through this, God prepared David to lead his people. He prepared a shepherd after God's own heart to to follow in Saul's place because Saul wasn't a man after God's own heart. Saul was a man after his own heart. And so God knew that David needed to be broken before he was ready to be filled with the Spirit of God and to be able to fulfill the purpose for which God had called him. Now, David became a great leader. We know that from Scripture. We know that from history. But it wasn't because of his skill. It wasn't because of his knowledge. It wasn't because of his education or his training or his upbringing. It was because he had been broken by God and he was submissive to God and was willing to let God make him what he needed to be. And that's why God called him a man after his own heart. It's no surprise that this same David wrote Psalm 34, and in verse 18, we read this, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. We see that in David's life. Or after his sin with Bathsheba, David wrote this in Psalm 51 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. David learned the lesson. Even when he sinned, he realized that brokenness was what would bring him back into fellowship with the Lord. So David learned to be a man after God's own heart. You first have to be broken. Now, I know a little bit about this because God had to teach me many lessons about depending on him and learning to trust him no matter what the circumstances might be. We all probably have gone through our wilderness times, but God had to break my pride, my stubborn independence before he could use me in his plan, just like David. I didn't have to go through the same experiences where people were trying to kill me, but God put me through the wilderness because he was preparing me to be where I am today. I wouldn't be a pastor if God hadn't first broken me. And I'll admit, there were a lot of things God had to remove from my life in order for me to be submissive to the point where I was ready to serve him in whatever he called me to. Probably the first 30 to 35 years of my life, I had several people telling me, You should really consider going into the ministry, even in college. And I would say, no, that's not God's plan for me. No, God's called me to be a teacher. I love teaching, but I'll never be a pastor. I can't tell you how many times I've said, I'll never be a pastor. Well, there is a great lesson. Never tell God never, okay? He has a good plan for you. It may not be what you expect, but we first have to be broken so that we can accept what God wants for us. And he had to break me. And he has to break you. The question for us is this. How are you responding to God's working in your life as he prepares you to fulfill his plan? God wants to break us, not for our suffering, not because he doesn't love us, but he wants to break us from ourselves and from following our own heart so that we, be, we can become people of his own heart. But brokenness is a, prerequis- a prerequisite to that. God uses those hard circumstances in your life, those wilderness experiences, to teach you the lessons that David learned. And it wasn't about being a great leader, it wasn't about having great victories, it wasn't about being a great singer or having great skills. It was about learning to trust Him in every situation, regardless of what the outcome looks like to you. It was to lean on God for strength, like Paul had to learn. When he begged God three times, three different times, to remove the thorn in His flesh, and God said, no, you're going to have that because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. We have to learn that it's only through God's strength that we can gain victory, It's not because of us, not because of our skill or our knowledge, our experience. It's because of God's presence and God's power. We have to learn that God wants to use those who are willing to do things God's way. Not what we think is best, not what makes sense to me, not what might seem right, but what did God say? This morning in Sunday school, we had a lesson on light. Jesus is the light, 1 John tells us. And the light shine, has shined into our hearts. And we live, if we are truly believers, then we will live in that light. Now, we're not perfect. We step outside of that light and sin. But that's why he says, if, you're, if you sin, you can come to him in confession, and God is faithful to forgive you but we live in that light. And that light is what shows us the direction that we need to go. It shows us the direction and the steps that we need to take. And living in light means that we look at God's word and we study God's word and we're submissive to God's word in directing and guiding everything in our lives, not just the important things. When Saul made that sacrifice, In his mind, that was a good thing. It needed to be done. God told us we need to sacrifice. We need to seek him. I'm seeking him. But he didn't do it God's way. And so the question is, are we willing to let God break us and bring us down into that attitude of submission and humility so that he can teach us how he really wants us to live, how to really be people after God's own heart? Now, there may have been times in your life when you've gone through extreme wilderness experiences. You may be going through it now. I don't know. But it's not because God has forgotten you. God doesn't forget us. In fact, God is paying attention to every detail of what's happening in your life right now. And everything that's happening is for a reason. Because God wants us to be broken people. Because until he breaks us, he can't make us what we should be we're all going to face those difficult circumstances. We can look at our government. We can look at our society. We can look at culture. We can look at religion. There's not a whole lot of good there. There's not a whole lot of hope. That's why we need to look to God. And so God will break our old habits of trusting in ourselves or trusting in the government or trusting in leaders or trusting in the church so that we can learn to trust him. But we have to go through the wilderness to get there. You may be facing trouble or difficult times in finances, health, family problems, work conflicts, I don't know. God knows. And it might seem like some days... You know, God wants us to get up and run around like chickens with our head cut off, not accomplishing anything, but just trying to, you know, survive for the day. Well, that's not his purpose. His purpose is for us us to realize that we can't survive without him. We need him. That's what he taught David. And he teaches us how much we need him in those times when we are broken, in the wilderness experiences of our lives. And just like David, we need to remember and learn, not just remember, but learn so that we live it, that God's always in control. Imagine what David thought after he's anointed king and then he's having the current king trying to kill him for years, running, hiding in caves alone. He eventually had 400 men that joined him, but they were the outcasts of society. They were, uh, you know, uh, escaped prisoners, convicts. I mean, think about that. That was his band of jolly men. That's not, I think, who he thought he would spend his time with growing up. Yet God had a purpose for that. But God's still in control. We need to learn that. We need to learn that our strength is found in God, that God will provide all our needs, regardless of what it looks like in the bank account or in the pantry. And whatever it is that we're going through right now and whatever we face in the future is part of God's plan for you. And it's not just God's plan, it's God's good and perfect plan. And our response shouldn't be, God, I don't understand. God, why are you doing this? God, I don't want it to be this way. God, get me through this as fast as possible. Our response should be, Lord, break me and help me see what you're doing. And that's all that matters. Make me what I need to become. Lord, remove my own heart. Remove my desire to follow my heart so that I can become a person, a man or woman, after your own heart. God doesn't want you to follow your heart. God wants you to follow his, to become a believer who lives after God's own heart. He wants people who are willing to let him make them people after his own heart as David was. And so the question is, are you willing to let him break you first, which is absolutely necessary in the process in order to become that kind of person? Are you willing to go through those wilderness experiences so that God can do what he needs to do, remove from your life what he needs to remove so that he becomes your everything Are you willing to let God do whatever it takes to get there? God wants people after his own heart. Don't follow your heart. Follow his. And he's shown us his heart and his word. That's why it's so important for us to be in his word every single day. Because that's where we're going to learn. That's the light that he's given us to show us how we need to live, who we really are, what needs to be taken out, and what God wants to put in. And so people be faithful. Let God do what he needs to do, whatever it takes. That's what defines a person after God's own heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us the example of David. We know he wasn't perfect. We know he had lots of faults. He sinned against you in so many ways, just like we do. And our goal is not to be perfect people. Our goal should be to be submitted people, to be broken people. So that you can make us what we need to be. We can't do that ourselves. We need you. We need your power. We need your strength. We need your working in us. We need your spirit to guide us. So Lord, teach us how much dependence we have upon you so that we can fulfill those things that you've called us to, like David did, that we can become great leaders in your kingdom, people after your own heart. So, Lord, do your work. Help us to be willing to accept whatever is part of your plan to get there. We thank you for what you've taught us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.